OMG, people. OMG. It is Friday, and you're saying, what's going on? Why do I see Guy? Why do I see Dan? Why do I see that sexy Carter Braxton Worth? I'll tell you why. Because Monday was a holiday, and we figured, hey, let's get a Friday show in, especially given the fact that the market seems to be rallying. So it is 11 a.m. on the East Coast. I am the aforementioned Guy Adami. This is Market Call. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And we're powered by many things, not least of which, Dan, is open exchange. Now, before we get started, I will tell you this. If you've been watching Fast Money for the last 15 and a half years, I am wrong the majority of the time. But I got to tell you something. We've done a decent, if not excellent job, handicapping this market, Dan Nathan. All right. Well, there you go. Let's not break our arms trying to pat ourselves on the back here, Guy Adami. Carter Braxton Worth, welcome to a special Friday edition of Market Call. Hey, listen, you know, to be very, you know, frank, listen, we say this all the time and you and me in particular, Guy, I mean, people look at us on Fast Money, they look at how we've kind of been navigating the markets on Market Call over the last, you know, six months or so. We've been decidedly bearish and and Carter has too. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you guys over the last week have both been saying that the conditions are ripe for a very sharp counter trend rally and the sentiment got about as bad as it could be. It was actually lower. and We've been talking about the bull bear stuff was lower than where it was in May. So, Again, you know, I'm with you. We don't like to press shorts. You may think of us as the perma this or the perma that. When things get as oversold as they were and sentiment as bad as they are, you know, you're going to get the rallies sometimes that don't make sense on fundamentals. Carter, talk to us a little bit about that mindset here, even if you do believe that we are in a bear market as it relates to equities. Well, it's just about sequencing. I know that is something, a word I like to throw around, but it's not thrown around. It's important. We know that the definition of an uptrend is that it's punctuated, characterized by, defined by its counter-trend moves, the sell-offs, the dips that allow the uptrend to continue. It's the same thing in reverse. Once you're in a downtrend, you have counter-trend moves. And since the market's peak on Jan 4, you've had very distinct bounces, counter-trend moves. This, in principle, is one of those. Yeah. Well, here, Guy, just speak to me. There's a headline that I know that this is right kind of in your wheelhouse here. You know, we've been kind of warning for a year about, I guess, the over exuberance and the valuations in the equity markets, specifically in pockets of the technology market or new IPOs or SPACs or whatever, you know, else related to that. Now, you know, this headline in the in the Financial Times today, the big risk to equities is earnings, not valuation. So the valuation correction has happened. There means, you know, it overshot the upside. They could do so to the downside as far as valuations are concerned. I think we all expect that to happen. But you've been suggesting, as I, you know, I, and I've been saying that we think that there's a bunch of earnings downgrades to happen for the back half of the year. Tell me how you think that fits into the narrative as we go into quarter end right here. In a quarter that's been really bad for stocks, the S&P's down 15%. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the worst quarters for the stock market in, in years. Well, I mean, thank you, FT. I mean, it's probably about six months too late, this article. I'm sure they have wonderful people there. But, you know, this is something to your point that we've been saying for quite some time. Yeah, valuation's part of this equation that rectified itself. And we've spoken to that dozens of times, if not more. What we've been saying now pretty much steadfast for the last few months is the next problem is going to be earnings. So, you know, there are two components to price and earnings. One of them's price and obviously the other's earnings. And 
I just think that the earnings component is going to get ratcheted down. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is right. They're exactly right. The risk to equities now is not valuation. I think valuations are reasonable. I think there's some people out there that think in this environment that multiple can still be lower. But I don't think that's a huge concern. The concern is the earnings portion. And, you know, I sort of been amazed by people that have a 5,000 price target in the S&P. I mean, that assumes a lot of things. And you can do that math, Dan. I mean, if you just want to make it easy, it's $250 worth of earnings, which I don't think we're anywhere close to, with a 20 multiple, which we're not entitled to in this environment. So, again, yes, I agree with that. I think they're late to the dance. But as they say, Dan, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So welcome to the club. Guy, you just said something that got me thinking, you know, you know, we are both part of the same hypocrisy, but don't think it applies to my portfolio, Senator. That's all I'm going to say to you right there. Nice all right. Job. Really quickly. By the here. way, Geary was a real asshole. I know it's Friday, so I can say that. I mean, yeah, you can, you know, he really deserved what he got in that. Senator movie, but we'll Geary. talk about that another time. Yeah, well, we will talk about that. All right. Let's talk about this really quickly. I'd love to get your fundamental take and then Carter's technical take. You know, while we're on the earnings front, FedEx, which is obviously off cycle here, had a big print. Stocks trading up 9% here. I think in a lot of ways, you know, we were talking about it last night on Fast Money as the news was kind of coming out. You know, the new CEO who's been around. So, you know, say hello to the new boss, same as the old boss for all intents and purposes. He was the president of this company but there's been a number of restructurings guy. Talk to me about what you heard last night and what you think this means for transports or industrials, or is there a read across what we might see as we get into Q2 earnings season in the next few weeks? Margins weren't a disaster. I mean, the you know, they basically came in line. I think the guide they gave was reasonable. And I think people yeah. are saying, well, wait a second. They seem to have some visibility. Some of the problems that they've had over the last six months seem to have abated for whatever reason. Maybe they're just running the business better. And then I think people look at it and say, wait a second, here's a company with maybe 11% EPS growth that last night prior to this move was trading at about 10, 10 and a half times next year's numbers. I mean, it's just too cheap. Yeah. And I, I, I happen to be one of those people. Now, I would have said the same thing six months ago, and that would have been wrong, full disclosure. But I think the market's finally rewarding, at least for the day, FedEx for that quarter, that guide, and then subsequently a very reasonable valuation. So, Carter, you know, you just mentioned sequencing, right? And, and and you just heard guys say he would have said the same thing six months ago. Well, six months ago, the stock was basically in the exact same spot. It did go lower here. And so the fact that we're starting to get incrementally less bad, let's say, information, at least as far as what they reported in the guide, what do, you, what do you look at a thing like that? You saw the move here from 300 to 200. Now you're back, you know, on your way back up. It broke that downtrend. It's above, you know, that longer term moving average. What is there? anything that you see in FedEx that you want to extrapolate to some other parts of the transports or industrial? Not so much uh, extrapolate, but I mean, in and of itself, we know that FedEx had that huge heavy volume up person gap about a week and a half ago. Checks back to the 150, and now a second go. Uh, that's very uh, developmental is the word I would use. So it has all the hallmarks of a bearish to bullish reversal, meaning the downtrend sort of has been at an end for two months, three months. And now this strength gives you a new intermediate high effectively determining this as a reversal. I I would be long. 
Okay, mm-hmm. cool. All right, well, let, let's broaden it out a little bit. Let's look at the S&P 500. Before we get into your more in-depth charge, Carter, you know, Guy, both of you guys have been saying for the last week, you thought we're trying to put in a near-term bottom, and you guys were very clear about the fact a near-term bottom and a bounce to a level. You're going to help us figure out where your technical levels are. Carter, I just drew some simple lines there. Guy, you've been talking about 4,100, maybe 4,200 on an overshoot over the next few weeks. You see that chart here. The one thing I just wanted to bring up is a multi-year chart of the S&P 500 in green here versus the VIX. And the VIX, which I think is interesting, is that even though the S&P at its lows you know, earlier this week or last week was down about 22% from the highs, the VIX had really never broken out. It never gotten above that early 2021 high when the S&P you know, was, again, at similar levels, but it was on its way to much higher levels. Curious guy on your you know, you know kind of 36,000 feet view right here of where we are. We're trying to put a few days together on this up move. Look, I think the VIX move, that, that spike VIX move that we saw, obviously, you know, 18 or so months ago, that caught everybody off guard. Yeah. Nobody was expecting, obviously, the events that we had, which is nobody was prepared for it, I guess is what I'm saying. So what's different now? I think there were people specifically in the options market that were prepared for a move to the downside. So I think to a certain extent, just my opinion, that probably mitigated the move higher in the VIX. You know, when people are set up for it, it's going to obviously not going to be as powerful move to the upside when and if the market sells off. So that's sort of my 35,000 foot view. And it sort of makes sense if you think about it, because the market did get pretty resoundingly bearish over the last couple of months. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Carter, walk us through a little bit about what you're seeing here, because I think you and Guy are probably in a similar camp as about where you think that the counter trend move, if it were to continue, might exhaust itself. Walk us through this and give us a sense as we go into like, you know, this is the last week of this quarter that we've already said has been pretty disastrous for the broad market. That's right. And we'll have a second down quarter, two quarters down in a row is, well, not all that rare. It's been rare in the past several years. Mm-hmm. So. No drawings there, no annotations, no judgments. Let's put some lines in. Mm-hmm. So one way to consider it is this, meaning a well-defined reversal formation. We'll call it the cup and handle of the book writers who are desperately trying to make people believe in their work in the 40s because there were no computers and they thought they were all nuts. Turns out they were all right. It's where the biggest hedge funds in the world are all using charts. We could draw the lines a different way. You could call it a head and shoulders bottom. Now, if you sort of remember this, burn this in your eye, and let's look at the longer-term chart instead of the 60-minute bar chart. Here's now daily bars. Let's put the head and shoulders bottom in. And the trend line Mm -hmm. in play, that's exactly where – so we the S&P had two back-to-back gaps, as all will know. It was the Friday, right? It was June 10th. We gapped down hard from the 4,000 level. We came in on Monday the 13th and gapped again. And we filled or are filling that Monday gap, but I think that preceding Friday gap is also in play. And that would be around 4,017, about three and a half percent higher. I agree with that, Carter. And, you know, it's something we talked about it on last Wednesday. That was Fed Day. Jerome Powell spoke. The market reversed. It sort of vacillated, was up at one point. The Dow 500 came in, whatever. It was a pretty constructive day. And on the show that night, Fast Money, I thought, Listen, we're set up for an 8 or 9% move to the upside. I thought we'd get to 4,100, probably do an overshoot to 4,200. Obviously, the next day was pretty dicey day. And it, to me, Dan, it came on the back of the Swiss National Bank out of nowhere announcing a 50 basis point rate hike. I think that's what caught the market off guard. And I said on Thursday, I said, listen, I was clearly wrong today. 
But for the first time in a while, it felt to me like the market is panicking to the downside. And I took that as a good sign. So nothing's really changed my view. I think Carter's spot on. I think this counter trend rally is going to be powerful. I think it's going to last for the next couple of weeks. And I think we get somewhere between 4,100 and 4,200 and basically get to that downtrend line that's still very much intact. Yeah, well, let's, you know, again, one of the things that sticks out to me, and I agree with all that, but keep an eye on, like, let's say Apple today is only up 1.5% versus an S&P that's up 2.3%, a NASDAQ 100 that's up 2.4%. That is going to be really important, you know, like these these kind of big leaders, in my opinion, for the ability to get to some of the levels you're pointing to. Looking at the NDX, really simple line here, Carter, 13,000. You see it, right? That was the breakdown level. You know, it seems that it was unable as it was consolidated earlier, you know, in the month to get above that level. If we were to kind of get to 13,000 or that's still in that downtrend, if you will, but it would probably be like a 12, 14% move off the lows. How important is the big names? Again, we're starting to see a broadening out. We're going to hit the arc in a second here. Some of those bombed out names and try to put in a bottom. The S&P made a new low this month. The arc didn't. So I'm curious as your thoughts on the NDX in general, because we know that those top six or seven names are about 50% of the weight, but there's dozens of stocks that are down 60, 70% that could also really benefit if we were to get going to the upside. Right. And, and of course, the chart of the NDX is the chart of the S&P. They have a correlation of about 90%, just a function of the weighting that you referred to. So not only are the top five names half the weight of the top 100, the top 100 are effectively the 30 plus percent of the entire S&P 500. So the sequencing is identical. And this bounce would be in line with the S&P bounce. The S&P bounce in line with its bounce. And remember, indexes don't bounce, stocks bounce, and they move mm-hmm. Right. So it's all sort of a simultaneous concomitant thing and higher. Now, how high does it get to the red line you've drawn? I think so. I mean, at some point it will just it will be tired as all bounces are. And the hard part will be to figure out whether it's not a bounce and something more. But you can't know that. At least I don't think there's anyone that can until we get there. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, indexes are made up of stocks. We also like to look at a lot of sector ETFs because to me, I just think that, you know, so that's where you see a lot of rotations, Guy. You've been talking about Qualcomm. You mentioned it on valuation. You mentioned, I think, yesterday mm-hmm. on market call a little bit. Let's look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semis. Obviously thought to be very cyclical, but, you know, really, you know, the broadening out of the portfolios of many of the components is really important as more and more chips are being used in all different sorts of things. And then companies like like NVIDIA, which have been valued as like almost software companies, if you will, in this latest run here. Talk to me about the SMH. Next week, we have Micron reporting guy. But this thing, you know, broke down below that kind of 18-month support going back to the start of 2021. So it spent a little time above there or below there, excuse me. What's your take fundamentally on some of these names? You know, are they just too washed out at this point, especially as we head into, you know, what's going to be some earnings in Micron again next week? And if they were to say anything that's kind of less negative than at least the stocks are representing, we could have ourselves a little bit of a run here. Yeah, I agree. Listen, I do think they're too washed out. I still think there's certain names in that sector that are still a little expensive on valuation. Clearly, a lot of them have come down considerably, but there's still some names that just quite frankly don't make a lot of sense in this environment just on valuation alone. Now, you mentioned Qualcomm. That's one name, by the way, that I can get my arms around in terms of valuation is basically done an entire round trip in its move over the last six to nine months. And I think, you know, it's reasonable in this environment. What I think is going to happen again, you're going to see a similar move in the SMH as you're going to see 
I believe in the S&P 500. I don't think it's fixed by any stretch of the imagination. We're not out of the woods. You can draw that downtrend line from basically earlier this year, and it's still intact. But you're going to have one of these, again, face-ripping rallies where you're going to have a lot of people come out and say the bottom is in, and they're going to be right for a couple weeks, but I don't think they're going to be right for the long term. Yeah. Hey, so Carter, take a look at Micron. It's not a huge component in the SMH, but I'd love to get your take on the semis in general. But then, you know, we know we have this, you know, event coming. And not only did this thing kind of break down that from that one year support, but it really kind of fell off the page, if you will. Thoughts on a name like this that, you know, is always deemed to be cheap on a valuation basis. We went from a situation where there was tremendous demand for memory, tremendous demand for chips, to now people worrying about inventory builds, double ordering, all that sort of stuff. And I know you don't care about that sort of stuff, but what's this Micron setup look like to you into the print next week? Well, what we know, of course, is Micron's relative performance to its peer group, to the SOX index, is very poor. But what we also know is the day-to-day trading, that minor head and shoulders bottom, is identical to the S&P. And so does it throw back? Does it fill the gap, move higher up to or closer to the red line? I think so. That's my hunch. All right, let's look at software names here because, again, we talk, started this conversation about valuation, and I think you know that was a big concern of a lot of investors. They didn't care on the way up, but they certainly care on the way down, and they're going to overshoot a lot of those valuations on the way down. And I think this is one of the reasons why this ETF, the IGV, which is largely you know some big SaaS names, but you know the biggest software names. Guy, thoughts here? We had that breakdown at three hundred. That was a low in March. We went through it in early May. Almost got all the way down to 250 here. Curious as your thoughts. We've had some results from some of the components over the last few weeks, which haven't been bad whatsoever. But I think the fear is just a further deceleration as we see job cuts across many different industries. A lot of these companies sell licensed seats, right? If they see a deceleration of that for the first time in a while, you're going to pay less for these stocks. No question about it. And I think to your point, this is going to be more challenged to go higher than I believe the SMH or the broader market, quite frankly. So a lot of this work has been done, but we're still in this very steep downtrend. The name obviously to look at is Salesforce. And let's sort of slide that one, Earl, because if you recall, Dan, the day they were reporting earnings, the stock was trading 163. You mentioned that day that had, I think the options were implying a 10% move. And I thought the risk reward set up really well for a move back to the trend line at 180. And that's exactly what we saw. But to this chart, and Carter can speak to this a lot better than I can, but you know we're still in a pretty significant downtrend. I don't think it's necessarily breaking out. And you have obviously the moving averages rolling over. So I think I think it's going to be challenged here to make a definitive move higher. I think a lot of the moves already been done, just my opinion. Yeah, so Carter, we hit this the other day when you were on with us, but you know, from a sentiment standpoint, this Arc Innovation ETF is really interesting because many of these names have just been absolutely bombed out here and this thing has had a bit of a rally and what I thought was most interesting is that, you know, from its highs in March, which was somewhere about, I don't know, 75 or something, it sold off to about, I don't know, 35, okay, to its lows in May. It tried to put in a little bit of, or made a little bit of a consolidation for a few weeks, almost made a shot at new lows, but it didn't. And now it's had this kind of big run from about 36 to about, I don't know, 45 or so here. So curious is your thoughts. It's not acting well today relative to a NASDAQ that's up 2%. The fact that the ARC Innovation ETF did not make a new low in the last few weeks as the S&P. What does that say to you about this segment of the market? Well, it's the same thing for CRM and it's the same thing for XBI. 
and yeah. all of these things, meaning it's the QQQ that made new lows and more so than the S&P, which made new lows. And yet XBI didn't, and nor did CRM, and nor did ARC, meaning it's the most bombed out things that are showing some day-to-day relative strength and or stabilization, which is to say there's an appetite. Money is going to those. You're seeing it in China and other names like that, yeah. other ETFs. And my hunch is that is the place to play if one is feeling, what's the word, aggressive or risk on or uh, frisky. Yeah, well, you just mentioned China names here. You have a bunch of internet names here. And again, you know, this is an area where, you know, it feels like, Guy, we just kind of stopped talking about them because the risk didn't have like normal market risks anymore. It really had to do with what the Chinese, you know, like Communist Party thought about these tech leaders in a way. And so I've just kind of stopped talking about them, you know, because the series of lower lows throughout all of last year were just remarkable. But you have some kind of under the radar names and then you want to hit some of the big ones, Carter. Walk us through this because you just used the term stabilization. I look at this PDD, this pin Dow Dow chart, and I say to myself, not only was that like some stabilization, but a heck of a rip off that low. And very the word I, I, that comes to mind for me is developmental, meaning a bottom is not a V. V bottoms are rare. You get them only, for instance, after a COVID when the government throws everything at it to try to fix a problem. But as you cure and heal, just like an illness, it takes time and price and you have setbacks, but eventually you recover. And that's what a bearish to bullish reversal is. So if the PDD is the prototype, and it is, what do we know? The 150 moving hours on the cusp of turning from downward sloping to upward sloping. And there are many like this. And I think we've got some others and we can just roll through them to look at how similar they all are. So here's, this is not China. This is the biggest single stock in the Nikkei. It's a retailer. It's the Walmart of China. They own that unique low business here in the US, but it's the same chart. It's a bearish to bullish reversal, something that's cut in half, but then very gradually starts to turn reverse bottom. And there are others, but this is going on Alibaba. Now here too, one could say, well, why isn't it going to fail at the 150 day? But it's had its chance to, and now it's starting to work through it. This is what to look for, I think, for one who wants to be aggressive and speculative. I think that's exactly right. And we do mention Alibaba from time to time. And I've pointed out dozens of times on Fast Money in here that although it topped out around Halloween of 2020, I mean, you've had at least seven or eight 30 to 45 percent bounces off the low and you're still in this downtrend. And, you know, maybe to Carter's point, we're finally about to break out to the upside. But I think in terms of this, you got to let sort of price be your guide. But this is another name that you know, it has provided significant trading opportunities over the last almost two years. And I think it's going to continue to do exactly that. All right. This is a bit of a hard pivot here. We're trying to get a lot in on this special Friday episode, but small cap stocks measured by the Russell 2000 at their lows last week. We're down 33% from that multi-year high, that that very brief breakout last November. And one of the things that's been really interesting, Guy, I remember you saying on Fast Money, maybe even catching a little heat, maybe some people added you on the Twitter. You said at the time that you thought that the small cap stocks were the most important important chart in the market that you were tracking because you really thought that failed breakout was important. And, you know, listen, you know, that's when the NASDAQ topped out back in around this period of November and the S&P took another month, month and a half to do. But look at that well-defined downtrend that it's mm-hmm. been. And so real curious is your take just as we're 
just digesting all of this economic data. We know that small caps have been very sensitive to higher rates and what the Fed's doing with inflation. What's your take on the group right here? And then I'd love to get Carter's technical take if he likes my little downturn. It's still the most, I still think it's extraordinarily important. I would still submit we're in this very well-defined downtrend, but I also think there's a chance we get to the upper end of that band and then fail once we get there. I mean, the moving averages have definitively rolled over and continue to do so. Nothing's been fixed. And, and we talked about earnings at the beginning of this, and we might as well talk about them now. And, and when we talk about the IWM, earnings are not going to be robust at all. So although it's gotten a break as rates have come down, and I think people are breathing a collective sigh of relief, nothing's been fixed. So I would anticipate further room to the upside, but fade it when it gets to the upper end of that downtrend. Well, I mean, what's important, I think, is where you start your line, of course, and you're starting it from its all-time high. What's so sort of important about that all-time high is that it's basically not real. What we know is that the that the Russell 2000 peaked almost 18 months ago, and it had this brief four-day, quote, breakout, a classic bull trap, drew in every pundit on the street, every single one, and the whole thing has been a disaster since. The question is, is this something to play on the long side? If you're embracing a risk-on moment here, and I think so, uh, that's... Uh, what I'm advocating for, for some of this charge I looked at, I would use this too. Okay. Yeah. So to, to Guy's point, getting back to that kind of upper bound. And I think what I would take away from both of you guys who are basically making a very good case why we could have a bit of a, a ripper here is that when we do kind of hit some of those resistance levels, that's where you're going to kind of lay off this trade a little bit, because I think we're all in agreement that we think there's going to be lower lows. Um, let's hit this really quickly. We, we spent some time this week on yields. I don't want to beat it to death here, but this is the 10-year the chart, the 10-year yield here. And we know that, again, we had that breakout above those 2018 highs. I think it sucked into your point, Carter. A lot of pundits and a lot of economists and strategists were convinced that rates are going much higher. But here we are. We basically had almost a 50 basis point retracement, you know, from those multi-year highs here. And we're kind of at an important technical spot. Curious your take, Carter, technically, and then Guy, rounding it out, you've been kind of sounding the alarm on all the volatility that we've seen in the 10-year yield. I'd love to get your fundamental take on just ending this week that it's been all over the place, what you think. But Carter, where do you think we're going from here in yields? I have to think it's lower in the sense that we everything got sort of one-sided, right? But look what's happening in commodities. They're basically getting crushed now. Oil, same thing. Rates, same thing. And that's what's an, uh, an elixir, if you will, for equities, hence the balance that we're seeing. I think rates are basically sideways to down, and that's part of what gives you your lift in SPX. We had Rick Santelli on Fast Money last night. He hadn't been on in a long time, and I definitely asked him a question to wind him up because I knew it would, and we, we both think alike. I mean, the bond market is effectively broke. You can say what you want. I mean, it's completely broke. You think about 10-year yields with 3.48% a week or so, week and a half ago, and now they're traded down to 303. I mean, you shouldn't have 48 basis point or 47 basis point moves in the 10-year yield in six months, let alone six trading days. So it's broken. Good for them for getting their price stability. You know, another failed attempt by a failed group of people. But to the point that Carter just made, I think yields can probably go lower than people think because it's suggestive of a slowing growth. And that's going to be problematic. People will interpret that in the short term as bullish. And I understand that it's not going to be bullish in the long term, though. 
All right, so let's talk about banks really quickly before we get out of here because we know that they had the stress test. There were no big surprises. Some of the performance on the way out, I mean, Wells Fargo's up nearly 7% today. JP Morgan only up a couple percent. Bank America nearly flat or up about 1%. So there's some real dispersion in the price action. Kai, last night on Fast Money, you mentioned how you like the investment banks. And you made a great point that a firm like Goldman Sachs, which of course is going to be hit by slower capital markets activity that we're seeing, are likely to trade their way out of it. They're good at this, you know, and this sort of rate volatility they're going to benefit from, the credit markets are going to benefit from. So I thought that was really interesting. But Carter, give us your take on the banks, because in general, as we've seen this flattening yield curve, and no matter what curve you want to focus on as it relates to net income margins for banks, they haven't liked it this year. The underperformance of the banks relative to the S&P, we've highlighted it on many occasions. They topped out, JP Morgan topped out in October, a month before the NASDAQ topped out. So talk to us what you're seeing in, in banks. Thanks, Ranger. Yeah, I mean, look, they're having a good day today, but the financials as a group, as an asset class, as a relative play, as a choice, you can choose anything you want in the market. They just don't act well. You might have some relative charts here, but there's there's something that's very uninspiring. This is, oh yeah, here we go. This is a ratio chart. And again, all that a ratio chart is, is dividing one thing by another thing. And one could say, why do that? It depicts the relative performance of the first thing relative to the second. And so simple as this, if that line is going up, BKX is outperforming the S&P on any given day, week, hour, month. If it's going down, it's underperforming. Now, there are no drawings on that ratio chart. Let's draw some lines. One way you can draw it, it's a massive double top. Another way you can draw it, it's sitting here hovering, threatening, toying with the prospects of a break to yet new intermediate lows. And then the final way, take that line all the way across And what you've got is something that's at a precarious level. I think it breaks. And I would have a pair on being short financials relative to the markets. That's XLF versus SPY or BKX or KRE relative to SPY. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I just say is that, you know, we've been kind of extrapolating this price action is what it says about maybe the economic backdrop. Guy, I'm just curious what your thoughts are, because again, you know, we know that these things topped out on a relative basis, you know, long before we started to see material economic weakness. We're just starting to see weaker data, but we've also seen weaker commentary from the CEO of JP Morgan. And I know some of his counterparts or peers have kind of gone back and Mm -hmm. said, well, maybe we're not in this hurricane. What is this price action say to you? And again, are you a seller on rallies on banks? And would you expect, I mean, the relative, they don't firm up. As some of this like NASDAQ stuff, some of this other stuff that Carter just pointed to is firming up. They're not really forming up. It looks like they're about to break down. Low. No, and they're ground zero for my biggest concern, which is credit. You know, what happens in the credit markets, which I do think are going to be a problem. And we've been, Sonic, like we're just saying that in a vacuum. We've been saying it for a while. So if you believe that, it's very hard to own banks as an investment. I think the trades are there. And we talked about it yesterday on the show. And I think they probably continue to have some upside here, but I think it's going to be limited. JP Morgan's commentary, take Jamie Dimon at his word. You have to wonder what he really wanted to say. I think he was trying, that was muted. I think if you really want to extrapolate, I think he probably think things are a lot worse. And then just go back to ground zero of all, you know, which I've said for a while, Deutsche Bank with one of the biggest derivatives books in the history of the world had a 10% move to the downside yesterday, made a multi-year low. So We're not impervious to any of that stuff. People say it's contained. It's always contained until it's not. I just think things are going to sort of find their way here at some point. 
but it's not going to happen, obviously, in the next couple of trading days. Yeah, fact. All right, listen, it was great to get both of your takes on the technical bounce that you've been calling for. Guy, yours is a bit more fundamentally driven and, and on, on the sentiment. So I love the combination of all your views. So thanks a lot, Carter. You're the man. Thanks for joining us on a special Friday edition. We hope you're, you and yours have a great weekend. That was it, Carter. You are the man. That was Market Call, this special Friday, 11 a.m. edition. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, say something. Text us, add us, whatever it is, Dan. I don't know how to do any of that shit. And I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet. Of course, we are powered by Open Exchange. We'll be back on Monday. I don't know what day that is. Probably like the 26th or something because I start to lose track. Doesn't matter. 27. 27, 6, 7. Hope you enjoyed that Yankee game last night, fans. Down 6-3 in the ninth against the Strohs. Ace closer. Aaron Hicks goes yard. Got to love that. And, of course, Aaron Judge comes up. Boom. Base hit. Game over. Yankees just 52-18. and Ridiculous pace, Carter. I know you've been locked in. We'll see you Monday. All right. See you guys. Bye, guys. Bye.